with another episode of Space and 60 with the guys. Hello, How's hello. everyone doing? Chad Baker. Hello. And Andrew Pilipchuk. Howdy. Man, it's good to see you guys again. It's been a while. Well, maybe it's been a while for, for me, but you guys were just hanging out together. Hasn't been that long for us, Clint, or does it just feel that way? Well, it must feel that way now that you're both in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, did see Chad last week at GeoInt. That was a pretty incredible conference. It was, but apparently I did not leave the impression I was hoping with you. I don't know. (laughs) Well, every time I saw you, I turned the corner and headed the other way. (laughs) That trade show floor can be like a labyrinth out there. You can get away from anyone on that floor. It was, but it was a great one. You guys are talking about seeing each other. Where'd you guys meet up? And GeoInt in Denver, Colorado. Yep. Denver, Colorado. It was really great. Kind of the first full-fledged GeoInt back, I think. Like there's been one before and it was kind of, I don't know whether it was really all out, but this one seemed like everyone turned out and was raring to go. Yeah, it was full go. You could tell that. A lot of excitement on the floor. A lot of people just excited to get out and, and be back a part of a conference world, I guess. Yeah, and for all of you listeners that, that aren't familiar with GeoInt, it stands for Geospatial Intelligence. And there are a lot of space companies and geospatial companies that show up for really a defense and intelligence forum revolving around all of that subject matter. And it was great to see old friends again that we haven't seen for literally years now. And this has always been kind of the reunion where everyone gets back together. So it was a, it was a great event. It was, and they do it, uh, you know, they kind of get the Gaylord, so then you're trapped into one big biosphere of GeoInt, and so everybody's there. Yeah, I was on the elevator, and I heard one guy describe the Gaylord in Colorado as, or actually they said, you know, all of these Gaylords are like a huge Bass Pro shop. They get you in there, and <laughs> you're just trapped in this whole ecosystem. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, guys, that rings especially true, because the last couple weekends, Maya's been like, Let's go to the mall. And all she wants to do is go to the mall to go to Bass Pro and see all the animals and all the stuff. Yeah, you know, and it was working out really well till we had to pull Chad out of the pond in the, the pond boat out there. Every once in a while, you know, you got to make a scene. He just jumped in and started fishing. <laughs> it was a great show and, and great to see everyone. But, you know, that's a part of the industry that I think all three of us have, have loved for quite some time, the geospatial application of space data. But, you know, we also today, aside from GeoInt, have something really cool going on. We've got a great guest today on the show. I've been looking forward to this one. It's our first space influencer, maybe? No, I think so. I think so. I'd go for that, yeah. Yeah, Bianca Cefalo. Yeah, I think all you guys out there know I'm not this huge social media person. I, I try, but I've followed a few out there, and there are a couple of space influencers that have caught our attention here at Space in 60. And today we have a special guest that we can't wait to introduce you to. This influencer works at Space Dots, also at the Carbice Corporation, a member of the advisory board for Artemis UK on Lunargistics. That's a new word I haven't heard before. Founding director of Cosmica Space Consulting and someone that we feel is just a truly exciting personality to have on the show. So we'd like you all to welcome with us, Bianca Cefalo. 
Bianca, thank you for joining us on Space in 60. It's so great to have you. Hello, Clean. Thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited. That's great. Good to see you guys. Where are you calling in from, Bianca? From London. From London. And that's where you normally sit among all your travels. This is, this is home? Yeah, home is London. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Chad and I and Andrew, we've followed you on LinkedIn for a long time. You're quite the influencer in the space industry. And we would just love to hear what you're up to, what you're doing, and, and how you've gotten into this crazy business. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for considering me an influencer. <laughs> you know, I was one. <laughs> and second, so how everything happens, I used to say the story that I never, like, the first thing I wanted to do when I started my academics in engineering was never space, but I wanted to be a Formula One engineer. And uh, this is what I always wanted to do because I'm Italian. So the first thing that you would say on a Sunday lunch ritual was for me the Formula One. And I wanted to work for Ferrari. And then the more I was getting into this automotive, plus my dad has always been in the automotive industry. He's not an engineer. It's, it's just like he has trading spare parts. And at the time he had a tiny garage. So I would used to spend like time with him. And I remember seeing cars, not as they were assembled, but completely like the inside out all the pieces. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I really want to understand how everything works. And the more I was getting into the Formula One, the more I was getting passionate about aerodynamics. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, what do I literally study to be an expert in aerodynamics? And that was aerospace engineering. And then from that point, I moved from basically studying aerodynamics for cars to hypersonic aerodynamics for re-entry capsules. And I was like, fine, you know what, I just think I need to be in space. And this is what I did. From that moment on, I started working on multiple space programs, starting with the NASA InSight Mars mission. And it was, again, thermofluid dynamics of an instrument that was that landed on Mars in 2018. And also, let's say, the progression from the fluid dynamic for space missions to then thermal engineering for multiple satellites and payloads missions, to then moving on to how to voice my own message on the social media. It all came... I think very recently, like two, three years ago, where I just realized that everything I've done for myself in my career, moving and across three, four different countries, living in three of them, changing life every five years, it was like I had to prove to myself I was able to do that because nobody really believed I could when I was a child. And then when I proved that point to myself, I was like, okay, I think that now I have a story to tell to all those people, especially girls who have been told, no, that's not for you, do something easier. Maybe I can just say what was my experience and people could feel relatable to that and that can help somebody. So this is where I really started sharing more and more about space technology and women in space and how cool it's basically to be an engineer, which it wasn't when I started studying. Wow, that's that's quite the background. <laughs> that's super exciting. And, you know, I, I hear the pitch already starting here for Team Ferrari on the moon and Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bianca, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was a, a company in Berlin several years ago that was going to put one of the first landers on the moon, and they had the backing of Audi, and Audi was working on mm -hmm. and funding the development of a rover. Like, can you see any other auto manufacturers getting into that space? 
I think so. I think it's what it's what is like considering the trends, especially of the new space. I think this is what is going to happen where every company and everybody will work for space, not directly. Like, for example, Audi has been funding a rover, a lunar rover. Ferrari may be funding another project to, you know, robots on Mars. Even if you think about how Red Bull started with a tiny can of drinks and that founded the Formula One team and probably you know and they started shooting people into the stratosphere it's just what is going to happen with everyone whether you're doing materials whether you are an automotive hype brands whether you were fashion the next trend is just that everybody's going to work for space because there is so much to do up there even if you are an architect if you if, if you are like an interior designer interior designers now are working for space tourism balloons they had never thought about that probably five years ago. So this is really where everybody's going, just because it's the push towards life beyond Earth that is going to push all of us together to work towards that space. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a time period in space where there's a lot of novelty, where lots of public organizations, commercial and private organizations are taking part in in the race to space. And we saw that with Audi. I, I think we'll see that with others as well. And I think my colleagues and I, Chad and Andrew, we've, we've talked about John Deere on the moon a time or two, that we think that there could be some sort of capability for John Deere to even get in the game with tugs on the moon or, or something like that. We can keep it Italian with hypercars. I mean, Lamborghini has tractors out there. <laughs> right. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I like it. Yeah, but actually, like even Mitsubishi or especially the Japanese brands where now they started or at least they've backed companies which are working for the new space ecosystem and they're doing something that has to do with Japanese space agency. So, again, I don't think like that any of those will be out of space, first of all, because the next trend, obviously, the big brands need to be on the trend, like the metaverse or the crypto or the NFTs. But plus, because maybe the NFTs can be, let's say, hype. But space, leaving Earth and having habitats on another planet, something that is going to require decades. So everybody needs to start now if they want to be part of that ecosystem. For sure. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, I know that you're part of many ecosystems in the space industry. Like you're, you've got so many things going from what I understand, like with Carbice and Space Dots, like what all are you doing these days? Oh, geez. I'm doing space in every time zone, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to explain in, in uh, easily what I do, because it's something that even my friends and my family can wrap their heads around. So I started working with moving from the big corporations. So I was working at Airbus Defense and Space. When I moved to London in 2018, I was working for Airbus Defense and Space. And I worked in the corporate for like four years and a half, but I I realized that it wasn't for me. And that is also where I realized where I I kind of had the seed of my business, which is Space Dots. So where everything started, where I met my co-founders. So it had a very significant role, that kind of experience I had. So during the pandemic, 
everything kind of stops. Nobody knows what to do. So during that time, I also went back to Italy to spend time with my family because I just didn't know what was going to happen. So I'm like, I'm not just going to stay close in my box in London. There's nothing going on. I'm going to go back to Naples and stay with them and enjoy the sun at least. So this is what I believe. And that made me realize so many things I wanted to change in my life. And the first one was literally the career path that I was taking because I thought I could just jump the ladder in a corporate, but that's not really my mission. It's not where my vision is, it's not where my heart is, it's not where my culture is. And during that time I was at Airbus Defense and Space, I met Bara, who is the CEO of Carbice. Carbice is an amazing startup based in Atlanta. And what they do is CNT based thermal interface materials that can be applied from spacecraft to coffee pods. Literally, that's the range. And because I was a thermal product manager, so I was always looking for new innovation into the, the thermal solutions for big spacecraft, telecommunication space. I was championing that product across the divisions in Airbus to the point where I got LinkedIn message from Bara. It was probably summer a year and a half ago. And it was like, you know, we've just closed the 50 millions round in London. And I think I have a position for you and you would be the best at it. I was like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> so this is where I started basically negotiating my position as director of international business development. And now I'm moving on to director of aerospace and space markets. Just because I was a thermal engineer myself, I know the product so well that clearly I can speak to a customer that's in the same language they do. And I understand what kind of problems they are solving from an engineering background. This is Carbice, and it's my full-time job, one of those. Then, again, one year less than one year and a half ago, with two of my friends and colleagues, we used to work on the product team together, thermal, structural, and mechanical, and propulsion systems at Airbus. We came together, and we realized that we wanted to solve a problem that Airbus wasn't solving. So when you were basically developing a product and if you are a corporate or you are backed by loads of money and you have a new advanced material that you want to test in space, you can just do the entire status quo of qualification and you go through all the technology readiness levels that you need to do so that you are qualified to be applied in space. And by the way, there is a paradox because obviously before being applied onto a mission to space, you have to fly to space first and that's extremely expensive. <laughs> so we thought, how the hell any SME or another startup or another academic person is going to do this if they don't have like hundreds of thousands of budgets? Plus, we want to just uh, like challenging the entire testing of new materials that can be done on Earth to just do the same thing, especially when we are talking about miniaturized labs for mechanical tensile test, uh, thermal conductivity test, none of them exist literally done in space. Everything you do is you attach your components or your material, you just generally you send them to the ISS so that you can have the radiation exposure, you can understand the thermal cycling of a material, you can understand how the electronics can work on different, different exposure to eclipse and sun, but you don't have active testing labs that can literally both have the radiation exposure, the thermal cycling exposure of a LEO, a GEO, or even an interplanetary orbit, and at the same time crack the, the bone of the system and say, okay, we have characterized this both mechanically and 
thermally. So we came up with space dots. Dot stands for something quite long, which is dimensional optimized technology satellites. And basically, as I was saying, is a precision engineering, it's a miniaturized lab that is meant to test advanced materials and extremely tiny technology and characterize them both mechanically and thermally on orbit and not just on a Leo orbit, but also any geo interplanetary and then lunar orbits because we are hosted payloads. So we could basically be attached to anything at the moment and just fly to the orbits where the material needs to be characterized. We've been very well received by the UK Space Agency where we've participated two different accelerators last in the first year of being born. And just a couple of weeks ago, we We've been announced that we've been accepted by the European Space Agency Business Incubation Center in Harwell. So we are starting working with them literally in a couple of weeks and we're launching our first prototype quarter one next year. So basically, this is all I do on a daily basis and it's a lot and I love everything, every bit of it, although it's sometimes it's very, very exhausting. (laughs) So you said your first prototype is going up in Q1 of next year? Yes. That's incredible. That's such a rapid pace. Yeah. And for me, it's not even rapid enough. I thought (laughs) I was going to launch them this year. (laughs) That's great. Is it public or do you know who you're launching with yet? We are now in negotiations with a couple of launchers, especially because, again, it's not mainly a launcher but it's a hosted payload. So basically we are talking with a different of a couple of projects who have CubeSats or small sets to attach our payloads on. So this is all ongoing and it's not been official yet who will be hosting us. And there are a couple of other, a couple of launchers and partnership we started, especially when they are small. And one of them is called Siderius Space. They've also been born a couple of years ago. They are Italian-based. They do small launchers for very, very small satellites. So we've started a partnership with them, and very likely we're going to be launching with them without a hosted payload when we will become an independent satellite. That's such an amazing thing with the way that hosted payloads can take, I guess, your, your early stage products for development and get them space heritage. I just love the way that the ecosystem's developing around that. Mm-hmm. It is very cool. And what I've also realized is that when you move into the startup world, which is very so dynamic and flexible, and also it changes from one day to the other one, where basically you you have a role in a company, say that I'm CEO and co-founder of my own space company, and I am the director of a market in the startup Carbice. But at the same time, you just have to overview so many things. And you realize how much space entrepreneurs, especially in the new space ecosystem, they want to help each other because we all need help and we all need collaboration and partnerships to get started, really. Because it's, it's, it is the first time mainly for all of us, especially if you think about the generation of 20s, I'm in my early 30s. It's probably for all of us the first time we are launching a, a space product of, on our own into space. And if you don't create a community around, it's really, really hard to get to that stage so quickly. It's literally you have to make friends before you even make a product. That's for sure. And I think that's one you've drawn a comparison there in my mind, of new space versus some of the legacy space industry in that it truly is a community. And with the legacy space industry, you just have this huge clash of titans out there just Mm -hmm. head to head against one another. But your description there of 
having to make friends and relationships before you ever have a product is so unique in this part of the industry. It is. If I even think about the customer base that we want to serve and the first customer that we have approached, they were all people that in some way or another we've been working with or we've been known. So again, it's easier. And again, I think that also for me, coming from SMEs, agencies and corporations and having been in the industry for now 11 years, it's been easier for me to go faster, although I'm not full time on my startup just because I've made a lot of connections. And to be fair, I've realized that so many of them were willing to help when I even didn't think like they had time for me or to listen to us. So even to do customer engagement, it's so extremely important that you know who they are. And even when you think about competition, I thought that some of those new space companies would be my competitors, but actually they will be partners. So again, it's so nuanced when you think about, about those that sometimes it's better even to collaborate rather than just be competitors because you can just, it's like a win-win situation. If you are competitors, then we are both losing part of the markets. If we work together, then we are expanding it. So it is very, very different from what, let's say, the old space or or the corporates or big primes would do because obviously they've built a name and most of the markets share in satellites or launchers, whatever they do. So they tend to keep that on. But for us, who are like tiny mosquitoes in the ecosystem, <laughs> we don't have that privilege. And it's very important for us to learn how to collaborate. Well, I think it's, as you said, that win-win scenario. There's definitely in the small business and, and the new space, that different risk tolerance profile and acceleration to market is key. And mm -hmm. I think to your point is building a brand new market. And is that how you see a lot of the work that you're doing is creating a new market where maybe some of these large incumbents just don't end up participating in, in some way, shape or form? Or do you think new space will end up joining with old space at some point? From my perspective, I think there will always be a merger. And when I say merger, it's not necessarily like a business merger, but we will always have to rely on each other. Let's say that the old space or the big agencies have to rely on the risk taker, like a new space innovation that is bringing something new. Just because, again, we are risk takers, we will try today, tomorrow, we will bring a product on the market regardless anything. And this is something that, for example, if we think, you know, just to name a few, Palestinian Space or Airbus or Northrop Grumman, they have to go through so many stages of approval and budgets and signatures to do something new, something different. So they acquire from the new space industry, what's the innovation? The same with the space agencies, the technology strategy for innovation comes in collaboration with the new space. And at the same time, again, the win-win situation, the new space needs backing and needs big customers and partnerships, which may be prime industry, which may be NASA, European Space Agency. So I don't think there will ever be a divide completely between the old and the new space, because let's be fair, we all need each other. And again, I don't even like this kind of comparison, old and new space, because for me, space is just space. And whoever is doing something for it is great. But we do need each other. One, like the old needs the new to move forward faster. And we also need to accelerate 
with basically budget that is coming from our big fathers and mothers. So I don't think we can survive without each other. Agreed. It's a great perspective and, and thought process. So you live in in London. Are, are you following the UK Space Agency? I mean, I'm curious, that's a relatively young space agency. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are there. Yes, so I am, and I'm I'm very up to date with what is happening, and it's true. It's a very new one if compared, obviously, there is the European Space Agency and the Italian Space Agency, and then the German Space Centre. So the UK is now, maybe also because of the political situation, which is the Brexit, it is necessary for the UK as, as a political and technological and economical power to put themselves into a position where they can do something locally without necessarily relying on other agencies or other, other businesses which are not in the UK. But at the same time, because it's at a, such embryonic stage, we, all of us who are in the space industry, can literally give contribution to shape the future of what will be the strategy. And uh, we are called regularly on, let's say, on surveys and giving our opinion on what can be done best, what could be the emerging markets, who are the new companies doing what. So it is nice to see. It's nice to see that we can be involved and we can be helped. As I was saying, I Space Dots has been on the UKSA Space Accelerator twice. So there was the Leo Accelerator and then there was the Geo Accelerator. And we've been twice there. And that was all for free. So basically, experts from the, the UK Space Agency have given us time, advice, and guidance for free. This is how much they want us to grow and thrive as a business, as an ecosystem in the UK, because clearly... It's not there yet, or it's not as strong as the other other big players, which are obviously the States, Russia, Italy, France, Germany, to name the European ones. So it is very interesting to see and how much we can shape that journey. No, that's great to hear. And kind of going back to something we talked about earlier, kind of your passion for STEM and, you know, bringing women into the into the industry, has all these opportunities and this work that you're doing across been able to help you with that? I think so. I think that, again, both the activities I do from, let's say, a technical and business point of view, and then the science communication and then STEM ambassador and all these other things, again, they probably helped each other because becoming an influencer on LinkedIn or social media was because I had the message to give to women and girls. And -hmm. also because I just wanted my audience to know that there is so much more to the space industry than just big launchers or the usual stereotype of a space entrepreneur or the usual material that you can can do with a startup. And that becoming an influencer because of mainly my social and cultural message helped me then become influential for all the ones who could be an investor. Or again, the space agency will understand, who know now like who I am. When I'm pitching my business to, to somebody, again, like they can understand the track record I have because it's clear and it's public. So both of them just help me, literally. That's awesome. I mean, I think we've, I mean, all three of us, we've all got daughters. Great to see a champion around this. And it's exciting to see so many everyday technologies and, and so many, call it everyday, 
industries that are not necessarily associated with the space, actually mm-hmm. part of space is super exciting. I think that's what gets it really exciting too. You think about all the innovation, like, you know, that you and the companies you're working with are doing and thinking about that traditional big space. And I think you hit on something before to the process that they have to go through and, you know, at times probably being a bit scared of failure, but that's a big driver into new space and advancing technology and having partners to help you try something, fail, try again and iterate to drive the speed and drive other pieces and, you know, working with some of the majors for their budgets and their projects and and bring that new technology in is is going to be a, a force of the future. Yeah, I think so. And also I hope so, because also we've seen again, like SpaceX has disrupted obviously the way the space ecosystem works, but now themselves have become a kind of huge corporate. I don't think they can call themselves a startup anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They've blown up too many rockets to do that. (laughs) Yes. So, so at the end of the day, like it's true that they are part of the new space ecosystem, but they have kind of given the input to so many other people to say, okay, you don't necessarily have to be part of the big corporate, you can do it off. But at the same time, SpaceX always had to have the approval by NASA or any other aviation federation to fly their rockets into space. You can be as free as you want with your investments, with your innovation, but it all needs to come to, okay, we need approval by government. We need to be approved by our investors, by our board. So you always, you're never working, you know, just for yourself. You need validation from the customers. And sometimes what customers want is completely different from what you thought you, you were meant to do. Like, oh, look at such a beer product. Yes, but it doesn't solve any problems. So there is always somebody you have to respond to. Whether you are a new space startup or you are like a new space tycoon, like SpaceX is, for example, even Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin, or like me, like you're a space dot, there is always somebody you have to ask permissions and signatures so that you can do something. Well, you're an influencer, and I think I and my friends here might be bad influencers. <laughs> we may not have the same reputation that you do. But, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, here. Wait a second, Clint. <laughs> for yourself there, I don't know. <laughs> I'm curious now. But, but it's, it's very clear that you work really hard. But I read somewhere that you like to work hard and play hard in this industry. What does that mean? I'm curious if you're actually on the bad influencer side like we are. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, like, yeah, I do love to to play hard. I mean, this weekend I was just partying on techno music. So that's one of the kind of things I like to play hard too. But at the same time, it's um, when I say the play harder is that I've realized, especially during the past years when I moved to London, that I was just giving everything to my career. And that's really made me understand that personal relationships were suffering and my creativity and myself as a consequence were suffering. So I had to take some time off for myself to really understand what there is besides, you know, space technology and space, everything, what there is that excites me and makes me wonder and makes me curious about just life in general. And I realized, okay, I miss having like real quality friends. I miss my family. So I reconnected with my family after 10 years I left Italy. 
I wasn't going there regularly. I love techno music and I love techno parties, or I love just going to an amazing art exhibition, which is very quirky and probably I don't understand anything about it, but I just like it. And I had to incorporate this kind of balance in my life because as much as you want to work hard, if you don't give yourself time to be creative in different ways, and if you don't give yourself time to bounce off ideas of you know, friends that you admire, there's no way you're going to move forward. And I found myself very, very stuck to the point where I'm like, I think I'm going to be much better going and sweating a techno club rather than just staring at my laptop without answers for like five hours. So (laughs) this is what I did this weekend. (laughs) There you go. And next weekend, we're going to see you in Miami at the, the Formula One, right? Oh, well, I wish I could be there. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, you going to be there? Uh, probably not. Not, oh. uh, not a Formula One oh, guy. Shame. I'm sorry, Bianca. Mm, it's just oh, not me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just not my thing. I'm not a car guy. You should watch the Netflix series. I don't know if this is, you know, one step down for you, Bianca, but I've really enjoyed Drive to Survive. I mean, that's really well mm-hmm. done. It's amazing. And yeah, it's exciting. It's going on the list now, Andrew. I'm going to hold you to that. It's really exciting Formula One. Actually, there's so many parallel with space. Reason why then I was like, I'm not going to stay on Earth. <laughs> just going to go out there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I just, I'm unfortunately one of those guys that when I watch racing, I see drive fast, turn left. And and that's about the extent of what I get out of it. Well, stop watching NASCAR. <laughs> I was about to say that's the that's the wrong race in there. Do, do you actually turn right in Formula One as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that opens up a whole you new also paradigm for me. Stop at times. <laughs> yeah. I think that work hard, play hard is something that everyone needs to incorporate into the their work life balance. And you know we've we've definitely moved into a world where it's less work-life balance and more work-life integration, I think, especially with the pandemic and everyone taking work home and never really leaving work. And I think we've just seen a shift that's really changed how we look at that balance and integration. So I think it's great that you've taken some time off to spend at the club. Yes, I think it's great too. I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got one burning question I've been waiting to ask. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big social media guy, but I have seen a couple of influencers on social media. You're one of them. Wait, as it regards to space, you're one of them. The other one, Kelly Girardi. Which of the mm-hmm. two of you are the biggest space influencer? Oh, that's a very difficult question. I mean, if we talk about following, clearly she has way more followers on TikTok and so and Instagram just because I don't do TikTok. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my take. I use LinkedIn way more than I use and Instagram, actually, just because I love having like my friends up to date with what I'm doing. And, and you can reach like younger generations with Instagram rather than LinkedIn. And I follow her as much as also um, Emily Calandrelli. And the beauty of being an influencer, especially in the space industry, is that everyone just has such a different background and everyone can just talk about the same subject in very different ways. And also, if you just want to be an influencer, it's a full-time job, literally, guys. Like sharing stories on the Instagram, it's exhausting. And you have to think through and you have to just 
spend hours writing a post and finding the right picture and the right link and the right words that don't offend anybody. And, <laughs> uh, and so it is a full-time job. So clearly in terms of following, she's massive. Then she's not talking much about space technology as I do, because again, her audience is very different from mine. My audience is mainly about women and girls who want to become entrepreneurs rather than just being part of the industry as, as an astronaut or, or going into microgravity. So it is very different and she's great at what she does on TikTok. I could never reach that level, to be honest, and I don't want to. It's too much. <laughs> she did take it one step further than I think any of us would be able to in naming her daughter Delta V. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's after Elon Musk named the, the, the little X or something. So I'm right. not surprised anymore. I'm thinking about actually if I, if I ever going to have a child, what would be the weirdest name I could possibly give that child? So he's ruined for all his life. But... <laughs> <laughs> But maybe this is another story for another time. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, being an influencer seems like a full-time job. And, and even like when I look at Andrew's Instagram, it's exhausting. Like I get it. That must be tough because I don't have an Instagram. But I was going <laughs> to say, you know, just working with you, Clint, is a full-time job. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, well, last question, Bianca. What is the most exciting thing you see happening in the space industry today? First of all, it's the shattering all these kind of stereotypes, barriers, where again, and probably this is really thanks to the influencers, so many young girls and boys or whoever really doesn't even identify with a gender, which is extremely important to point out, can just kind of relate to people who are not that far away from them. And actually, this is something I've said also in my TEDx talk the other week, is that generally people feel so disconnected from space, whether you are just the general public or somebody who is trying to start some business or just work for the space industry, there is a massive disconnect because everything you see in the space industry is white male billionaires. And what I love is that now, thanks to the social media, people and anybody in the world can understand there is a room for me in space just because I don't have to look or act or speak or have the same money of somebody. That doesn't mean I can work in space. And again, the new space economists just help that. For new people coming from whatever background, maybe that journalist, maybe a doctor, maybe a chemist, not necessarily a rocket scientist, although like I say, you don't need to be an engineer to work in the space industry, and I am one, so I'm not just lying, but it's true. Anybody with any kind of background can work in the space industry and give a meaningful contribution. Even if you're just a science communicator, you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be a scientist. You have to be somebody who's very passionate and knows how to communicate. You can be literally anybody and work for space. That's the most exciting things I see. And then the other one is really how far we are pushing with our limits. I can't wait to just see somebody starting living into an O'Neill cylinder around Earth or on a habitat on the moon, just to see humanity thrive beyond what we've known to be our home so far. These are really the two massive things that are very interconnected and make me just like feeling awesome about what we do on a daily basis for the space industry. Couldn't agree more. Well said. That's awesome. Love it. Bianca, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We're at the end of your workday. It's probably time to start 
that play hard portion of your uh, of your job? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so we're going to let you get to it, but thanks again. You're always welcome back anytime. Thanks to all of you guys. Really, it's been a pleasure, and I can't wait to see you in person. Hopefully, when I'm in the states. Absolutely, for sure. Yes, let us know when you're over. Yep, you have a good day too. <laughs> Thanks. And that was a fantastic chat interview with Bianca. Yeah, she's one of the most high energy people I think we've ever had on the show. As she brings it to the table, for sure. Great conversation. Great entrepreneur. I mean, that's pretty much what more can you say? That's a lot of fun. I like it. Yeah, definitely work hard and deserves the play hard. That's for sure. She has so much going on. Yeah, I think we could have actually dug into that one a little bit more. <laughs> the, the play hard piece. Something, something tells me there was more to it. Ah, <laughs> uh, probably. Probably there is. But hey, there's only 60 minutes in space and 60. Oh, don't tip our uh, listeners off to that. My, oh, my is that dear. top secret? That's top secret. Oh, dear. She was a great guest. You know, and I think one of the things that I continue to be surprised at is how much we learn from every single person that comes on the show. I think it's great. I mean, I, everybody that's been on the show has brought a new, new aspect to space industry or geospatial industry, tech industry. It's fun. And there's so much out there. So many different angles to take in and kind of all comes together as one. I do agree with you, Andrew. I think one of the things you or that she brought up that sounds amazing is Ferrari in the space business. I oh, yeah. love to see that. Although I'm not a, a car guy, I can appreciate fine things at times. Bright red rocket? Like that's pretty spectacular. Sounds <laughs> 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 yep. like an amazing space theme to me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space in 60, where new space speaks. Space in 60.